So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Black woman. Beautiful. Powerful. Resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation. A talk, especially an informal one, between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So... We created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? So the good thing is... Everything that's happened during the week is all for this moment. We closed in our house today. We did a mobile closure today. I am so excited to be. I don't think people understand how hard it is to carry two mortgages when you are like making a normal wage. Okay. So we have been carrying two mortgages for the past, what should I say? Six months. So now we are no longer carrying two mortgages. So listen, nothing can ruin my day, okay? Because I don't have double bills anymore. So we closed today. I had to fly down uh, last weekend or this past weekend. I just got back yesterday to get all the stuff out of the house. So we're supposed to close on Friday, but instead the sellers wanted to move all their stuff in and close on Monday. Well, of course that throws a, <laughs> a wrench in everything because you're like, oh, still got stuff in the house with me. Let me call up the troops to help me get all this stuff out of the house. So we called up the troops. We got all the stuff out of the house. I moved all of the repair services to this weekend with the exception of two things, which they were fine with uh, continuing to schedule after they moved in. So, oh my God, thank God that we closed. So won't you do it? I'm going into 2023 with only one mortgage. Hallelujah. So nothing bad can happen the rest of this week. I'm sure you are extremely relieved. I'm shocked that it moved so fast, though. It seems like the last time we talked, you were trying to figure out. Well, the last time we talked, some the offer had fallen through and you were just like, you're just going to make it work. And then now all of a sudden you're only you only got one house. Like how that happened so fast? I know. So we got a cash offer and they wanted to close in two weeks. And that two weeks obviously went to a week and a half, less than a week and a half. They were staying at a hotel, and so they decided they didn't want to be in a hotel anymore and that their hotel fees were astronomical and it didn't make any sense. So they basically pleaded for an earlier closing. And I booked that flight with good points. And since it's my birthday month, I got a free upgrade. I, listen, everything was going my way. I paid for my hotel room with also with points. I'm telling you, like everything was just falling in place, just spread out falling in place. So I booked the last minute uh, trip back. I was going to say back home because that feels like home. 
but back home in Houston. And now I'm back in the comforts of my Georgia home, which is my only home now. And uh, I'm loving it. How was your week, Janine? It was great. My week was actually pretty relaxing, to be very honest with you. This is the first week where I've had like nothing that has been looming from week to week in terms of work because it's slow season and we're about to close down. I can't wait. I cannot wait. You know, we closed down the last two weeks of the year, so I don't have to be worried about anything. So I'm super excited for that. But also, I got to hang out with my friends this past weekend for at one of my best friend's house for Friendsgiving. So I got to see some of my friends from here and from Philadelphia. You know, nothing like a good a good get together. I will say that. I thought you had Friendsgiving like before, like before Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, we always have Friendsgiving after Thanksgiving. Because everyone is running around for Thanksgiving to prepare for Thanksgiving. So so it's not extra pressure on everyone. It's like the post-Thanksgiving like wind down. That's what we really should call it. We shouldn't really call it Friendsgiving because Friendsgiving is supposed to be the day before Thanksgiving. But everybody knows, especially when you're in a black family, Thanksgiving is like a, a week-long task. You got to grocery shop. You got to cook. You got to figure out who's making what and who's coming to where and all of that, no one has time to be putting together a secondary event before Thanksgiving. So Friendsgiving is after Thanksgiving because then you know what you're tired of, what leftover food you don't want no more, all of that stuff that you're like, we're not having anything that's Thanksgiving related food-wise. We're going to have something fun and exciting. So that's what we did. And then we get together and then, you know, then you get to like, you know, drink and talk about how interesting your Thanksgiving was. I think, it, you know, it was... It was chill. I enjoyed myself. So, you know, I personally never celebrated Friendsgiving. Like, that is just not a thing for me. I've never done that. I feel like Thanksgiving is expensive enough. I'm tired of dealing with my family by that time. And the day before Thanksgiving, I'm definitely, like, we start cooking the day before Thanksgiving. So I can't have people at my house the day before Thanksgiving. Maybe I should start some type of tradition, like, going out to eat with friends the day before Thanksgiving. Because I'm definitely... Not trying to cook twice? <laughs> uh-uh. It's not happening. It would need to be a week before Thanksgiving or like now, like the week after Thanksgiving. So, I, you know, no knock to the week after. It's just like, you know, December, I'm not thinking about Thanksgiving. I'm thinking about Christmas, girl. I'm trying to get this tree up, which I still don't have up. Don't don't judge me. Tree's still not up. Don't be, don't, don't be upset that your tree is not up because my tree is not up either. So that's fair. All right, Jenny. What's on our timeline? Okay, Nicole. So, you know, there are times where we have to do these topics that are not very great and fun and jovial like we like to be. So this is one of those times I figure we would do it now as we kind of ease into the holiday season before we get to the holidays where we really want to focus on like the joy and the cheer. So as we all know, the holiday season is not always the most joyful time of the year. Not for everyone. So here's the thing. For some, it's a reminder of the reality that they face at home, whether it's missing a loved one or not being able to have gifts around this time or even not being able to necessarily have food. The holidays are more reflective of, of the hard times that they're going through whether, rather than this like picturesque holiday you know, image that we see plastered all over everything. So... You know, while some families are posting these pictures and they're matching pajamas and, you know, trees that have 
tons and tons of gifts underneath of them. Some families are really just trying to figure out how they're going to make it through the holiday season. And I'm not just referring to those of us who are attempting to do this thing called adulting. I'm not talking about us. Let's put the adults aside for a second. And let's keep this 100 that, to be very honest, there are a lot of children that are kind of suffering through the holidays with us, right? And for adults, I'm not saying that it's any less of a situation and any less of something to be worried about. But adults are able to understand the holidays and the haves and the have-nots, whereas children don't necessarily understand that. So while most kids are baking cookies for Santa or lighting the menorah or Kenora if they celebrate Kwanzaa, um, and kind of like anxiously awaiting, staying up late at night trying to figure out what they're going to get for the holidays, some children are facing a very cruel reality. Some children won't be receiving gifts because their parents just can't afford them. And some kids, you know, are really worried about where their next meal is going to come from because generally the only time that they eat are the meals that they receive at school. And some won't even have that new pair of shoes, let alone Jay's, but like they won't have a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants or the new clothes to go back to school in January, they're going to have the same hand-me-downs that they've been wearing. And while all of those things seem to be very difficult to deal with, let me be, be very clear. Those are all material things. And while it is hard for a child, it's not necessarily detrimental. But some kids face an even worse reality. Some kids are navigating what I consider to be the impossible. They're navigating a world where the very people that were placed on this earth to take care of them and look after them and make sure that nothing happens to them are the very ones that are abusing them. And that is the case for a set of teenage twins that lived in what I'm going to call, Nicole, the Houston House of Horror. So just last month... 40-year-old Zakia Duncan and her 27-year-old boyfriend were both charged with injury to a child. They're being accused of child abuse after her teen twins escaped from their home, barely clothed, on foot, in the middle of the night, and the teens basically went running door-to-door, banging on their neighbor's doors, begging and pleading for help. Now, if you were to look at this sprawling house that they lived in, or even the jovial post that the mother posted on IG and TikTok, you would never guess the horror that these children were enduring. So once the neighbor took these two, these two teens in, the neighbor called 911, and police began to investigate the situation. And once they started investigating... They, you know, looked at the video of these of these kids who were, I mean, literally, if you watch the ring camera, they're banging like, please, someone help us. And, you know, as you would expect, the neighbors were a bit skeptical, but they let them in. So the, the police start reviewing all of this information. And then they talk to the teens. And the twins basically shared that they were kept in a laundry room, often zip tied and handcuffed. And they said that they were made to consume their own waste, 
and made to drink bleach and other cleaning products. And in addition to that, they weren't really fed anything. Now, we don't really know much about them based on this initial investigation because this house that they ran from, they had only been living in for a couple of weeks prior to this incident. But as I said, when the police began to investigate, Zakia and her boyfriend went on the run. But they didn't go on the run alone. They went on the run with the other six of her children. And those other kids ranged from 7 to 17. So this triggered an Amber Alert. And, you know, because her five youngest children were clearly minors. And Zakia and her boyfriend were eventually caught and detained in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And they were remanded to custody. And Zakia is now being held on bond, a bond of $4.5 million. It's not clear as to, you know, how much the bond is for her boyfriend. But she's being held. Now, I focus on her for a reason. Because this is not the first time that she's had an incident concerning her children's welfare. She was convicted of cruelty to a child back in 2019 after one of her children was, quote unquote, deserted. But that also was not the first run in. There was also another incident where one of her children was hospitalized from burns to his genitals and his feet. So, as I would say, she's clearly a repeat offender. Now, the the positive news in this is that the children are now in the care of of state-appointed guardians, so hopefully they never have to be returned to their, their mother or this house of horror. But the one thing that I found interesting, Nicole, is in the arraignment for Zakia, we found out that she's now pregnant with child number nine. So I shared this horrific story, not because I I would like to give her a platform or any notoriety or anything of that sort, or even point out that, you know, these kids were being abused. I, I share this because while it's horrific, I think that it should do a couple of things. It should remind us that, you know, during the holidays, we need to give a little extra, right? We often talk about giving gifts or we adopt families or things like that. But we need to give it a little extra love, a little extra joy, a little extra grace, and even a little extra attention. And I think that the attention is the thing that I would like to focus on the most because there are times where we look at the outside and everything looks okay. So we kind of just glaze over it and we don't really dig a little deeper, even though deep in our gut, we know that everything is not okay. And there are times where we just kind of take the, Hey, how's everything going? And the generic response that we get back is fact rather than saying, but are you really okay? So I think that we just need to dig a little deeper. And I think that as hard as it may be and as scary as it may be to get involved I think it's really important to get involved. Now, I'm not saying to risk your safety, but I'm saying to get involved because just think, if those neighbors hadn't opened the door for those two two teen kids that were scantily clad on their front porch, they they had no knowledge of them prior to them showing up on their doorstep. What would have happened? I think that 
those neighbors that decided to open that door on that night could have possibly not only saved those two teen twins' lives, but also the lives of their siblings. And I, like I said, I know it's hard, but I think that we just need to think about this. And maybe not necessarily during the holidays give things that are material, but maybe time. You know, if you see a mother that might might seem to be a little overwhelmed, you know, offer to take her kids off of her hands for her for some time. But the goal here is to help us all get through the holidays. And not just survive them, but, but genuinely get through them, especially our children. What do you think, Nicole? So um, I think it's really sad, um, but, you know, this is not my expertise. So I'm going to bring in our guest, who is phenomenal, to help us talk about this to see what she thinks. And our special guest today is Tabitha Hendricks. Tabitha Hendricks is a social worker, a high school guidance counselor, and licensed professional counselor in the greater Houston, Texas area. She earned a BS in social work, an MA in counseling, mental health, and an LPCA. She currently works as a high school counselor for a Houston charter school. She also has experience working as a CPS conservatorship worker for the Texas Department of Family Protective Services. She has also spent more than a decade in education as a teacher. Who bless her heart. She has a nonprofit called Beneath the Badge, and it's on Instagram at Beneath underscore the underscore badge, which is an organization dedicated to building and strengthening the bond between law enforcement and youth in schools. Through her organization, she has hosted community events as well as programs to build soft skills for youth. Tabitha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for having me. It was a mouthful. <laughs> so, um, so you heard, you know, the story that Janine um, put out. Like, what do you think about uh, this story? And this is local for you, pretty much, because this is in Cyprus. You're in Greater Houston. Um, so what do you think about this? Um, well. Unfortunately, and the unfortunate part about this is that it's a common story to be exact. It seems that, you know, from us hearing about it in the news that, you know, we look at it and we are so shocked by what we hear. It's more common than that. It's just a lot of it is not broadcast as much as this story has been. Um, but it's very unfortunate that children are having to experience this by their own parents. Yeah, when you were reading it, Janine, I was thinking, I just, you know, I always go to Harrison and like the things that we do to make sure he's okay. And like any little thing, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a bad parent, you know? And then you have parents out here making kids eat their own feces. I could not, I could not imagine. Like how do you keep somebody handcuffed and mentally think that that's okay? Like, I know that kids can act a fool sometimes, but handcuffing them and putting them in the basement and making them eat, that, eat their feces, like, that's a lot. Too much for me. It is a lot. I think it's terrible. But um, my short time that I worked as a CPS caseworker, we dealt with situations similar to this and worse. Um, so it's it's just a terrible time to that it's in the news and we actually get a chance to hear about it, that it's broadcast. Social media has allowed us to learn a lot of things that we probably would rather not know. Tabitha, I know that you work as a high school counselor right now. How often do you see cases of child abuse in your school system? 
Um, it's actually pretty frequent. We have children who come to us um, who may be in the school system getting food is their only source. Um, they come to us on a daily basis. They're never absent. Um, breakfast, lunch, and even sometimes dinner, we provide that for them. And that's what they look forward to. Um, so that is a part of abuse that we sometimes hear. Another abuse is physical abuse. And especially at the high school level, uh, well, more so on the elementary level, you'll see it more prevalent in the high school level. They are very well they understand how to hide it a little bit better and they know the consequences of if it's being exposed. Um, so at that level, they hide it a little bit. But with building relationships, you know, students come in, they tell me things. Um, and then also we deal with sometimes medical neglect. Um, that's something that I, since being in the high school level, I also worked in the elementary school level. I see a lot more medical neglect in the high school level than I ever have before. So when we're talking about abuse, there's different broad spectrum of abuse. There's different categories of abuse. Um, and I see them all on a daily basis. Tabitha, what does, you mentioned medical neglect. What does that look like? How does one look for that? How do you, how does that present itself, especially in like high school students? Because, you know, at that age you figure, well, did they actually tell their parent, right? Like, did they say something was wrong? Was there, was there communication there or was the teen just going on about their life? How do you, how do you find out that, you know, a child is being medically neglected? Um, well, a lot of times the medical neglect that we experience and see in the high school level relates to um, our children who, especially after COVID, after COVID, we've had a lot of kids who are um, very depressed and they need some type of medical attention as a result of them being depressed. It may have led them to also believing that um, they want to take their own lives. So we have to act as if they will take their own lives. A lot of times parents are like, I know my kid, they would never do that. Um, we have processes that we have to go through where we explain to the parent that, oh, your child has expressed this and you need to take action immediately. Um, we refer students to get a psychological evaluation. Um, this is something that they have to have prior to coming back to school. And a lot of times parents, because they don't believe their children, because they think their children are just trying to get attention or they're just acting out, they're being defiant, they don't take them to get the necessary things that they need in order to come back and to say that they're mentally able to be here in this environment. Um, so when they choose not to take their child, then we call it medical neglect because, um, and we do have to call CPS, um, Child Protective Services, to come and meet with our parents and meet with the children. And then we get law enforcement involved. Um, so something as simple as you could have taken your child to get a psychological evaluation just to make sure they're okay can really escalate very fast if they're not taking it as serious as we are. So Tabitha, I know we're talking about this and we talked about Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving and now Christmas is approaching. Is it more common for us to see cases of abuse during the Christmas season or are we just seeing it now because we've been in the pandemic and we used to sitting at home watching TV? No, you're absolutely right. There are more cases during the holidays, um, more cases because we're dealing with um, family members are dealing with more stress. Um, they're dealing with more stressors than they would normally during the normal year. When holidays come around, families are trying to think about 
hosting family members, or maybe they don't have the resources. So where do we get the resources? A lot of stress comes from television where they basically tell you what your holiday should look like. And if you don't have it like this, it's not a true holiday. Um, and so a lot of times family members are working. They're not always home. Um, children don't have the means at home. Um, like I said, being inside of the school system, we see a lot of times that their only meal comes from the school. Um, so with that being said, um, there is a lot more abuse during that time. And actually, I see more children who are not as excited to go home for a long holiday break. Um, they're actually more sad and um, scared to go home because of the possibility of being home with either an abuser or the lack of resources that they have at home. So, Tabitha, if someone suspects a child is being abused, what action should they take? Or what suggestions or advice would you give them? Um, well, when we think about abuse, again, we want to make sure we err on the side of caution every single time, even if you suspect the smallest abuse, report it immediately. So here in the state of Texas, we have a hotline, we have a phone number. Um, they even, I believe, have like a text line where you can send information to the department and a, a caseworker would go out and visit whatever information you have for that person. Um, so anytime you suspect even the smallest, maybe you have just a hint or an inkling of something and you're not 100% sure, it's always best to just report. Okay, so what are some signs that they should look for? Because if you're around a child all the time, you know, children are able to like easily brush things off. So what are some things that you should look for to say like, okay, maybe I do need to step in or I do need to call or I do need to text into that number? Um, some visible signs that are very prevalent would be malnourished child would be a lot thinner than most children. You can tell that their clothes may not fit as well. Um, they also may have clothes that don't fit well, clothes that may um, have holes in them. Now, that could be one or two things. It could be that they are dealing with abuse at home or maybe just the family is in need. Either way, there's some attention that needs to be given to that child. A lot of times children may hide the abuse that they have. Um, a lot of times we see kids in the school system um, during the summertime, they will wear a jacket all the time. And you're just wondering, why are you wearing this jacket when it's 90 degrees outside and super hot in here? Um, a lot of times they're trying to cover up and hide certain things. Um, if a younger child in an elementary school area may, and I'm just going to use the terminology, um, if they speak about their genitals, um, either burning, itching, or feeling a certain type of way, or, oh, I see something in my um, pants, and I think that, you know, you know that they're younger and they shouldn't have those signs. Those are also signs. A lot of times kids, when they're younger, they will speak about things that they have no idea about. And so when they're speaking about those things, um, it's important for us as adults to be aware and um, to take action as soon as possible. All right. Well, um, thanks so much, Tabitha, for giving us insight into all that. I mean, that's to me just so heavy. Um, but we got to go heavier because in this portion of the show, we go through this, our let's talk through it portion. So we will read letters from our listeners. And, you know, as the expert, we want your feedback on these. And then, of course, we'll chime in and give our opinions. So um, are y'all ready for the first letter? 
Let's do it. Yes. All right. So um, our first letter reads, um, Nicole and Janine, I'm a regular listener of the show and I just love it. I tune in every week because y'all really break down things and get deep. Well, this letter is deep as well. I'm thinking about reporting my cousin to Child Protective Services, but I wanted advice to make sure I wasn't acting too extreme. My cousin has a seven-year-old son who is very respectful and disciplined. He makes pretty good grades in school and does chores at home, but like any other seven-year-old, he makes mistakes and sometimes he gets a little rowdy. When he forgets to make his bed or clean the bathroom, which he does usually twice a week per her chore schedule on the wall, she punishes him by spanking him with a switch and depriving him of food. One time, she made him go with only water for two days to teach him a lesson. I thought this was rather cruel, so I called her out on it, which caused a huge argument. As he's gotten older, his chores have been more and more involved. For me, it's too much for a seven-year-old. He has to wash all the clothes in the house, mow the grass, sweep him off the floors, wash dishes and other random tasks. His shoes and clothes are too small and raggedy while she's rocking Gucci. I feel so bad for him. I want to take him from her and raise him myself, but don't know if that's possible. Ladies, is this considered mistreatment or strict parenting? Am I wrong for wanting to report her? Signed, Jill. Well, this is absolutely abuse. This is the textbook. And a lot of times um, she's family member. And so she's hesitant to call. I can understand that. But you're thinking about the well-being of the child. Um, So there were some things that I took note on that you said, water, deprive water and food for two days and shoes and clothes are too small. And, you know, she's spending all her resources on herself. So this is definitely the textbook definition of abuse and she should contact the authorities as soon as possible. So I think that the thing, and thank you, Tabitha, for giving the the expert opinion. I think that the thing that stuck out to me the most about this letter is that the child is washing all of the clothes for the house. So it's not just doing your own personal chores. And I'm not saying that you can't do things for the house, but you said, what, he's seven? I don't know that I, I mean, to be very honest with you, I don't know that I've washed the house clothes even as an adult, right? Like, I feel like that that's a personal chore that you do for yourself and or, you know, the the people that you're responsible for as an adult, right? Um, but the other part that stuck out to me is that you said he his clothes are too small, but she's rocking Gucci. Now, just a personal pet peeve that burns me up is seeing a child outside with a runny nose or an unzipped coat or missing a shoe and the parent is all like scarfed up and gloved up and covered, you know, with a parka, right? I don't know how everyone else was raised and I'm not going to speak for everyone else, but I will tell you this, you know, I understand that parents do the best that they can, but I will tell you the one thing that, that my mother and my parents did for me that I just am a firm believer in is if they did not have, I didn't go without. They would go without way long before I ever went without. So I didn't understand the concept of sacrifice because they were doing the sacrifice for me. And I'm not saying that everyone can do that for their kid. And I'm not naive to the, to the, the fact that I'm, I'm privileged in that regard. But I will say this, there's no reason why a child 
should be going without when the parent is clearly living in excess. And I will say it, Gucci is excess. You don't have to wear Gucci. It's not a necessity. You can go down to the Target and a Walmart like the rest of us, right? Gucci is, is a luxury item for a reason. And if you can afford Gucci, you can afford to get your child the basic necessities. And I get it that, you know, this, this listener who wrote into us, it's a difficult situation to be in because you don't necessarily want to report your family member, right? But right is right. And you're writing to us because you know within your heart that this doesn't feel right. And it doesn't feel right because it's not. So, you know, as Tabitha said, err on the side of caution, right? Like, like it might not be super detrimental and it might not be, you know, visible, noticeable signs that, that would be red flags to everyone. But this doesn't feel right because it's not. It's not okay to withhold food and water from your child. It's not okay to do these things. And it doesn't seem like a big T trauma, but it's still trauma nonetheless. So reporter, I know it's hard. I know it probably doesn't feel good to report your family member, but you have to do it for the sake of the children. And a seven-year-old, it, strict parenting, I mean, look, we can we can quarrel over whether it's strict parenting or abuse, but Tabitha, she's the expert, and she said it's abuse, and I'm with her. It's abuse. What do you think, Nicole? Well, you know, she probably wearing a fake Gucci, y'all. Let's let's call it what it is, okay? She got a fake Gucci on, but even if it is fake, she is caring about her appearance and how people perceive her, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be wearing the fake stuff, but you don't care about what your child looks like and how your child is representing you in your household as a parent. You know, I can look raggedy, but... Harrison not going to look raggedy, honey. He not going to look, he coming polo down, okay? I'm going to look raggedy. I'm going to have my little Ross TJ Maxx outfit, but he win. He going to wear polo and he going to wear Gucci, okay? That is how my child represented. You cannot tell me that my child don't look good when he going somewhere because I make sure that he looks good. He's well-groomed. He's clean. He doesn't stink. He has on nice clothes that fit him, okay? And I get it. Kids are expensive. I feel like you are constantly buying stuff. Harrison has clothes. I'm like, oh, I, I need to wear this. I need him to wear this. I need to wear them. And as soon as it's time for him to wear it, I'm like, God dog it. It's too small. Let me gift this to somebody else, right? Because kids grow. So we always have to keep a size up um, for him because he grows so rapidly. Of course, Harrison is three. At seven, they're growing rapidly as well. So I understand that sometimes it may be harder to keep up. Sometimes you may have to buy your kids a bigger size. So your kid may be wearing clothes that are a little bit too big and you're rolling up, but not too small and not too tight and not holes in the bottom of your shoes. Like there's something to be said about not making sure that your child is well-fed, well-groomed and well-housed. Okay. Meaning your house is clean in the inside and you don't have roaches running over these children and then I get bit by rats. So, I mean, there's something to be said about my making sure that your kids um, are safe and feel protected and feel loved and desired. And this is definitely abuse. Um, the thing that gets me is I haven't personally been in a, in a family situation where I'm like, uh, that person's been abused, but I've seen families and I'm like, what happens if I just take the child? Tabitha, this is a cousin. I mean, what rights does she have? And I just feel like the laws don't protect people because there are people that do have false allegations, right? But like, what can she do? Like, I mean, 
she wants to take this child and raise a child as her own because she knows that she can love this child. But if she does, it's almost like she's kidnapping the child, right? So she can't really do that. So you just leave the child in danger and then just hope somebody does an evaluation really quickly. Like, how, how do we handle that situation? As much as we want to step in and we want to help that child for ourselves, it you're exactly right. It would be like she's kidnapping the child, even if they're family. Um, the parents still have custody of the child. They are still the custodial parent. Um, and as much as we want to take the child, we cannot. But the best thing to do, like I said, if you feel like it's an immediate emergency, call 911. Police will show up. Um, and they can also do a, a case um, report this to the proper authorities. So whatever child protective services of whatever state you're in, they can do that. If you don't know the information, call 911. If you do have the information, call the CPS. If it's an emergency, they will come out that night. Um, but we also have to let them do their job. Um, and if the information that you have is correct and they're able to investigate and do the research, because it's not our job to do the research, it's just our job to report it. Um, let the authorities do their job and pray that that child will be placed in a nice home. So if they do find that there is abuse after one or two investigations, it may actually be pretty quick within that week, they will remove the child and find the closest family member. Um, and if you feel like you are the closest family member and you want to help that child out, you can. Um, so a lot of times they do do that um, in a quick manner if it's an emergency. But unfortunately, to protect yourself, Kidnapping the child is probably not the best option right now. So just I would just say let the authorities do their job and, you know, take your big heart and call 911. That's what I would say. All right, Janine, what's your letter? Because, you know, I want to snatch the child, snatch the child out of the situation. This one says, what's good, ladies? Writing you from Philly. I moved here earlier this year from Virginia for work. I moved in with a friend of a friend because, look, I needed a place and she had an extra room. Well, here's why I'm writing. The lady who owns the house, we'll call her my roommate, has a four-year-old daughter. Interestingly enough, she's very attached to me. So much so that when people come over to visit that don't know her, they think that she's my child. While I believe that my roommate loves her daughter, I think she may be neglecting her and or overlooking some abuse. Now, I will tell you that her boyfriend does live with us on and off sometimes. I say this because my roommate has had to take her daughter to get her, quote, privates checked multiple times since I've lived here. And there have been a couple of instances when her mother has left her with me, that she's asked me if I have Vaseline because she said that her pocketbook is burning. I've mentioned this to my roommate a few times, but I don't want to accuse her of abusing her daughter. And when I mention it to my roommate, she brushes it off and says that her daughter is just a bit dramatic. I don't want to make any accusations but I'm very concerned about my roommate's daughter, so much so that it's making me anxious to think that I'm going to leave to go to Virginia for the holidays. I know it seems odd, but I'm really feeling uneasy about leaving this girl with her mother. What should I do? Signed, Amanda. So 
Um, I want to address something just before. So the pocketbook burning, what, what is that mentioning? So usually that is a lay term for vagina. And so we are grown women and we can say the word vagina. The, um, the child may just reference it as pocketbook because she might've heard somebody in her family call it their, their pocketbook. But for this, for this purpose, it is a vagina. All right. So, um, with that being said, this is a red flag. I see red flags everywhere. If we're talking about red flags, this is, these are red flags. And, um, yeah, if she feels any inkling, and this is definitely some inklings. I mean, um, we can't always say that it's the boyfriend because he lives in, but that is a red flag too. If she's feeling like these things are happening to her private areas. Um, yeah, it, it could be anyone, but this is definitely red flag. And I would definitely, definitely call 911. So, you know, the OBGYN in me wants to make sure that we know that kids can do things. You know, they are curious, okay, at that toddler age. So kids can be very curious. Um, some kids, even like babies, can have like blood in the diaper from estrogenization and that be considered very normal and not abuse. The thing that is a red flag for me is that the little girl has to have seen somebody use Vaseline for something, right? Like, why is she trying to put Vaseline down there on her vagina, okay? And why is it burning? Um, I know that, you know, sometimes hygiene, like if the if the child is not wiping really well, can cause irritation and a little bit of itching. So that m it may not be, uh, you know, abuse, but like you're trying to put vagina, you know, if you're trying to put Vaseline on your vagina to stop it from and she's saying the word burning. She's not saying itching. She's saying burning. That to me is just alarming in itself. Okay. And I say that because, you know, I have a toddler and toddlers do the weirdest things, right? Like they, if they itch, they'll just stick their hand down in their underwear. I'm like, why are you sticking your hand in your underwear? Get your hand out your underwear. Ah! You know, and then you're like, who's been touching you? Who's been touching you? You know, you're always paranoid about somebody touching you. Don't let nobody wipe you. You wipe yourself. I'm the only person that can wipe in the house, right? because you think you're super paranoid. So yeah, that toddler stage, they are curious, they're doing stuff. They're not maybe the cleanest in the world. So they may not be able to wipe themselves clean. You may have to help wipe them and things like that. But the Vaseline, why is she trying to put Vaseline? She needs to see somebody put Vaseline on their own vaginas for some odd reason and wants to repeat that. Or she really is burning and she really does think that somebody else has put Vaseline down there for some reason, right? Now, one thing I will say about kids that are younger with, with that may be a, a poor hygiene, some kids can get worms. Tapeworms are a real thing. And so how do you get the tapeworms? Medically, we put Vaseline there, okay? So it may be that she's itching because she has worms, which you would put Vaseline there, for tapeworms, okay? But either way, as Tabitha has said, if you have a red flag, it it's better to err on the side of caution and report it, have somebody come out and investigate it and go from there. This could also be medical neglect. Like if she is itchy burning because she has worms, then why did she not go and get the child medical attention to treat that, right? So, you know, at the at the very least, it's medical neglect. At the most, it's sexual abuse. And she's seen somebody, you know, somebody's used Vaseline on her for some reason. 
and has, you know, abused her. So either way, I think that it calls for uh, more attention there. So you said that she gets her privates checked. Well, I would assume if it is medically, then a medical professional should have noticed something, right? So I'm assuming that there's it's not medical. I, I'm just going to assume that. And I would definitely report this as soon as possible. What stuck out to me, and Tabitha, tell me what you think, but what stuck out to me is that the way that Amanda wrote this letter, she's saying that the boyfriend lives with them off and on. So that kind of makes leads me to believe that Amanda probably thinks that it's something going on with the boyfriend, right? Again, reading into this, she didn't write that in, but it kind of that's kind of how she's kind of guiding us. But then when Nicole brought up the idea about worms, it kind of gave me a different thought that maybe it's not necessarily that someone is abusing the little girl, but maybe it's that as the listener wrote that she's getting neglected because if she does have worms and it's not getting cleared up or is this multiple cases of worms, right? Like, is this multiple instances where maybe it did get cleared up and then we're back not being clean again and now she has worms again? I don't know, but for me, if you've only been living here for a year and there's instances of going to get her privates checked multiple times and she said that there have been a, a couple of times when her mother has left her with her that the little girl has asked for Vaseline. So that's a repeated instance as well. Something has to be going on. Should we not get a check? Should the mother be concerned? Is the mother overlooking? Like, what's going on here? Um, so you're completely right. Yes. Either way, whether we feel like the mom is neglecting the child medically, it's neglect. It's abuse. Whether we feel like the mother is allowing a man in the household that is maybe sexually abusing her child under her roof, it's abuse. The way we put it, it's abuse. And a lot of times, like you said, I feel like a lot of times we feel like we want to do the investigating ourselves. Um, like, well, let me get more information before I report it. Or let me let me go ask questions. Let me um, set up a camera or something. Um, and that's actually allowing more time for things to happen to that child. Any red flags that you may have, if you're sending in a notice now, if you're sending in a letter to this podcast saying that I think that there might be abuse, you are protected by your state laws to report it. It's a Good Samaritan um, law that they have. And this Good Samaritan law states that if you report something with good intentions, I'm reporting this because I feel like there might be abuse. They do an investigation and find out it was nothing. The child did something and ended up somewhere. You are still protected. And so with that being said, it's hoping to allow more people to, if you see something, say something type of mentality. If you see something, report it, no matter what it is. It can be, it sounds like it could be between medical or sexual. And unfortunately, a lot of times in um, the school setting, especially in the high school setting, I have experienced more and more children who have experienced a sexual abuse similar to this story. I have, um, I counsel a lot of students in my office and um, it's my mom's boyfriend moved in and, you know, I've been going through this. I immediately, we, I counsel the child, um, get them to a safe place and I call the authorities as soon as I'm done talking to that student. Um, I have had this happen more often 
And the unfortunate part about this sometimes is um, the parents are, they get upset at their children. Um, they don't believe their children or they would rather believe their partner over their child. And with that being said, either way, whether I feel like the child is lying or not, whether it's not my job to investigate, but if I have any inkling or I am hurt, I hear anything related to abuse in my profession, I immediately call the authorities and let them do the investigation. I will say that when I talk to the authorities, I will let them know, hey, I feel like this is an emergency. And a lot of times they will listen to me and they'll send somebody out that day to go talk with the family. And if they need to remove, they'll remove. If they need to take a child somewhere else to a family member emergency, they will do that. But with this situation, either way, whether we think the mom is not taking her to the doctor and she's just letting her, she's examining the child, or maybe she's letting a family member examine to see what do you think this is? It's medical neglect. If she is allowing the boyfriend in, that's sexual abuse. It, all of it is abuse. We just need to report it. So quick question, you know, in these scenarios, let's say the boyfriend was sexually abusing the child. Could the mom also be held liable for abuse there as well? Absolutely. Um, if she allowed the, let's say the child had expressed to, mom, to the mom, hey, uh, such and such is touching me or I don't feel comfortable around him. And she still allowed him to come to the house multiple times. She can be um, liable. She's a part of it because she's not protecting her kids. And actually, her well-being is more important than her kids at this point. All right, y'all. So at this point of the show, we talk about what we've learned new this week. Tabitha, you can participate if you want. Do you have something you learned new? I do have something. I learned that a lot of times kids use pocketbook to identify their private parts. Um, and that's new for me because I always try to teach kids to use the actual terms in the event that something does happen, you, we need to know what you're talking about. We need to know it's clear that my vagina got touched the other day and not my pocketbook. But that's something new for me. And so that I'm going to be more aware of that if I hear that from a child. Look at the podcast making you learn something new. I love it. So, Johnny, what did you learn new this week? So this came from Mama Bear Effect, the Mama Bear Effect. And it's the mamabeareffect.org. It's an organization that um, helps to prevent child sexual abuse. So they state that um, abuse increases, obviously, during the holiday season. And it specifically says it doesn't take a break for the holidays, right? But the reason why I picked this as my Learn Something New is because it gives us some things that we can do to basically help the children, right? So before you gather, here are some things that you can do during the holidays so that you do not further or unintentionally expose your children or other people's children to abuse. So the first thing is creating a code word. So, you know, kids might not necessarily be able to express what's going on in the moment, especially around other adults. So creating a code word so that you can then know to pull your child aside to talk to them about what's going on. Then this is a big one for me. Don't force the hug. I know that, Nicole, when you and I were growing up and Tabitha, if you grew up around the same time that Nicole and I grew up, that they would be like, oh, go hug Uncle so-and-so. And it's like, I don't want to hug that creepy man. And y'all know he's creepy. Even though he got our same last name, he's creepy. So don't force the hug. That's really, really big, specifically for me. So y'all don't force your kids to hug people. 
Also, another one is avoid letting kids play behind closed doors. Because one of the things that I've read in this same article, and I'll share the whole article, but in the same article, it talks about that abuse, 40% of abuse to kids actually happens from another child, not necessarily an adult. So letting your kids play behind closed doors can be a little dangerous. So y'all do like my mama did. No, no doors closed around here until you pay some bills. Keep the doors open. And then take mental note of your child's behavior around certain people and about people's behavior around your child. So if people start acting weird around your kid or your kid starts acting weird around people, take a note. And if it continues, keep your child away from that person. And then the last one, and I think this is really good, is end the night with a check-in. Check in with your kids. I think oftentimes what we miss, and I don't have chicken or child, y'all already know that, but just from the outside looking in, What's often missed is just that extra check-in of like, hey, everything okay? Anything happen? Just check in. Make an open communication between you and your child. So those are the things that I learned, some ways to hopefully help prevent instances where child abuse could take place. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? So I learned so much. One, that there's a shortage of social workers and um, child abuse uh, investigators. Like they just don't have enough. Like we need more people that are investigating these cases. We just don't have enough. There's a national shortage, which sometimes is why it takes so long to do an investigation. Um, so I learned that. I also learned that according to the National Annual Child Abuse Statistics cited from the U.S. Administration for Children and Families, Child Maltreatment 2020, African-American child fatalities is 3.1 times greater than that of Caucasian children and 3.6 times greater than Hispanic children. We got to do better, y'all. And the last thing that I learned was that parents allowing for transitioning gender-affirming care can be labeled as child abuse in some states still. This did not get overturned. And these states include, and four of them, Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, and of course, the great state of Texas. Um, They've recently enacted those restrictions Although Alabama, Arkansas, and Texas laws have been temporarily blocked by court rulings um, this year, this summer, and 15 states are considering uh, 25 similar pieces of legislation. Y'all, of all the things that we want to consider neglect, I mean, and and all the things we want to consider abuse, we throw in gender transitioning in there? I mean, just sad. We can't get it right in this country to save our lives. We can't. Either way, hopefully some of these laws will be overturned because, I mean, the government in exam rooms, it's just it's just getting real old. So hopefully they'll step step out a little bit um, to allow people to actually be parents and women to be women and make decisions for their own bodies. Um, so hopefully that will happen. So, um, Tabitha, we really enjoyed you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on as our special guest today. Please tell our listeners how they can find you. How can they follow you? on social media. Well, thank you ladies for having me. I enjoyed this. Um, They can find me, my um, Instagram handle is unfiltered underscore tabs. Um, And then my nonprofit handle on Instagram is beneath underscore the underscore badge. Um, So they can find me on those two platforms. Okay, and then tell us, you know, what else you have going on? Is there something that we can support? Um, any events that you have upcoming? 
Um, we don't have any events right now um, because since COVID hit, we kind of have slowed down a lot on that going into schools and doing things like that. But um, pretty soon we'll have another probably health and safety fair um, where we have children come out. We usually have it during the summertime to kind of make parents aware of um, how they can make their kids safer um, at home and as they get ready to transition into like back to school time, we usually partner up with Sam's Club to do that. So we'll probably start that again this upcoming summer. All right. So y'all ready for the motivational moment? Let's do it. All right. So the motivational moment this week comes from Anita Hill. Now y'all remember her. She had allegations against uh, Clarence Thomas, right? Back in the day, she was sexually harassed. And she said, I did what my conscience told me to do. And you can't fail if you do that. Now, these are words we should live by in every situation we face, especially if we think we are witnessing child abuse or any type of abuse. If the voice in your head is telling you that something isn't right, it probably isn't. Speak up. Say something. Your bravery could save a child's life. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melodated excellence. Bye! Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.